one of the things I really enjoy in life is seeing some things restored. Seeing some things restored. And whether you're in the room or if you're watching online, which I get it, summer malaise, we're here, it's, it is what it is. And there's traveling and tired and yet one of the things we love, some of us in our spare time, some of us in our hobbies, some of us just like to see it on television, but watching something that is old and forgotten and left for dead have new life breathed into it, right? We typically think of these things in like a car restoration. Put that picture up for me. Just something to visually think about that something that is so bad could actually become so beautiful, right? Some of you are into doing this with furniture. Throw up the next picture where something is of old that just needs a little life breathed into it. This idea that everything is created for a purpose, right? It doesn't matter what. It is everything that's created is created for a reason. The car is created to transport you from point A to point B. The furniture, a dresser is made, a chest of drawers is made to house your clothing and to keep you organized. Like there's a purpose behind every single thing in the world and it should not escape us that Human beings were handcrafted by the God of the universe. The same God who hung the stars in the sky, put the seas around the earth. The same one who breathed life into Adam when he, think about this, when he got down into the dirt and formed him out of the dust of the earth. And then I love that scripture that says, and breathed into him the breath of life. What a beautiful thing that, that Adam, the first human, was given a purpose. That he was to be the image and likeness of God. What a powerful, powerful story of creation. A purpose. God took Adam and caused him to go to sleep and took a rib out of him and formed and fashioned Eve on purpose. Because, can I get anyone in church? He looked at Adam and says, not good for you to be alone. <laughs> and there they were, right? And God said, this is, this is very good. Created on purpose. Created with intentionality. And I think we resonate with seeing an old car come to life or a piece of furniture come to life or any number of things. If I was to pull you, no doubt you've probably even at some point in your life attempted to bring something that was forgotten back into usefulness. We, we've, we've all been there. We've all done that. And I think we resonate that because there is something compelling in our human story about bringing purpose to something that is dead. Can I suggest, (laughs) in jest perhaps, that humans, we're a lot like old furniture. In a way, if you think about it in, in, in a real sense, you grow up feeling like you have your whole life in front of you. And when you're a teenager, you, you just can't wait to get out and 
out from under your parents and to do things the way that you would choose to do them. And it's, there's, there's this amazing sense of anticipation, this amazing sense of purpose, this amazing sense that you are going to finally get to do what it is that you want to do. Some of you have started businesses and you just, you got so tired of sitting under somebody else's vision for what you're called to do that you stepped out and you made your own way and you were going to fulfill your own purpose and destiny. And then we start to do that and it's like, oh, <laughs> so all these other things that come with doing that. And yet we're compelled by those stories, aren't we? We celebrate the ones who step out and then they make it. We celebrate those things as we should. It's amazing. And yet as life goes on, if we're being honest as Fast as life is moving and as exciting as it can be, if you and I are honest with each other, as life goes on and we start to look around and we start to see how people treat each other, we start to pay attention to politics, we start to hear of war, we start to see the stories of war, we hear about the physical, mental, spiritual oppression and abuse that happens among people, you begin to see that everybody doesn't have access to everything that they need. You get a first few doses of somebody close to you, a friend, neighbor, coworker, relative, stabbing you in the back. You start to get the doses of these things in life. And then you look around at culture and you start to ask the question, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And then the strongest message that the culture that we find ourselves in has to offer you is that it's all up to you to make something great out of it. I just be honest with you, hard pass on that. Now, there are some people in this world doing incredible things and they ought to be celebrated. And yet it's complex, is it not? That if you look at the leading voices and people around the world, that their stories are mixed. They're mixed with scandal or mixed with ethical issues are mixed with any number of things. And, and I could give you just a plethora of examples, and that's not my goal here today. But my only point is to bring us all into this common footing to say that things are broken. And on one hand, we confess that on a weekly basis, because apart from Christ, what does John fifteen five say? We can do how much? Nothing. And so we, we understand that, and yet we understand the call of God to join him in the renewal of all things. And so we say, we first celebrate the good. We, we understand, right? Like as you look up and you fall in love with God, that you begin to see the good. Because it was his creation. And yet we also confess that we draw near to the broken, because uh, this commingled place that we live has both good and broken. And you cannot escape the tension of the two. It's like holding a pencil. There is that tension on both sides that causes us 
life. And we see it at all times. And so out of that brokenness that you look around and see, and it is everywhere right now. Brokenness. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But as you look around, out of that rises good news. Right? That there is news. There comes news that there is a person in history who changed the course of everything. Right? That is the gospel. That is the good news. The word gospel means good news. And so if we're going to say that we're gospel-centered people, that we orbit around the good news that Jesus is for us who we could not be for ourselves, and then he will begin to live through us as a gospel-centered person, child of God, it brings new life, right? What scriptures say, that the old is gone, the new has come. It restores, in a sense, purpose. It takes you from being just a broken human, an old piece of furniture, if you will, and restores that purpose. It breathes life into you. It's reminiscent of the first creation of humanity when God takes the dust of the earth and breathes life into it, right? And so we, we have that. That message that Jesus is not simply an intellectual one. It is that. It comes as news, but then it, what, does something. Right? And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning, is that for the past two weeks, we've talked about authority, and we talked about doctrine, and the intellectual pursuit of truth in a post-truth culture. And yet, it doesn't just remain an intellectual pursuit. It takes another step and it begins to do something critically important because it was the brother of Jesus, James, right? Who reminds us that our faith without works is dead. It's that old forgotten piece of furniture. It's that old forgotten car in a garage stuffed away somewhere. It's still there. (laughs) It still has a calling on its life. But it is not being used. And so we need Titus 3 to remind us that the gospel does something to us. That that we are not just intellectually remade, reborn. To have an intellectual superiority. But that news that comes actually does some things. And so that's what I want to look at. So if you go to Titus chapter 3, we're going to finish out this series looking at exactly what that is. Because remember, Paul is writing to to Titus as he is appointing elders in every city on the island of Crete and uh, seeing the church be born in that place. And he's reminding him of all the things that matter. And so we talked about authority in the church and, and what that is and why it matters. And then last week we talked about sound doctrine or truth and it affects us in a post-truth culture so critically important and then paul says to titus in this last chapter some really important final things and so let's look at the first seven verses together here's what it says 
chapter 3, verse 1. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a copy of the scripture in front of you. Remind them. Who's them? The people, right? Sometimes we can read the Bible and it's just, it stays in that place of intellectual. No, no, no. This is for people. These were people just like you living in a culture that was anti-truth, that was anti-Jesus. That's why they killed him, remember? This would have not been far behind. That was a fresh story. And so, here we are in verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them, the people, to be submissive. We don't like that word. To be submissive, and it gets worse, to the rulers and authorities. Oh, man, like I just lost a ton of you right there. You're like, I'm not listening to them. No, no, no. Right? In our country, we just swing that pendulum back and forth. Oh, you stink. Oh, you stink. And we just, we just, goes looking for salvation in, in the wrong places, right? And so he says, be submissive to those rulers and authorities. Yikes. We're going to talk about that in a minute. To be obedient. Why? So that we're ready to be ready for every good work. I think about Joseph being sold into slavery by his own family. And God just working in his life over decades to eventually bring him to a place of prominence so that he was ready for that good work. But he could have never been ready for that good work as that silly boy who told a crazy dream to his brothers that made them want to literally sell him into slavery. There are always things happening that we can't see that God's doing. And so we submit to the rulers and authorities, even if we cannot see what God is doing for every good work, to be ready for every work. Verse two, how about this? To speak evil of how many people? Come on, come on. No one. But what if they believe that? No one. Man, I'm just going to be honest with you. I had a very hard time with that verse this week. And you probably did too. Listen, we can, we can be some fierce keyboard warriors, can we? Let's go. I'm going to make a difference right now. You get back on, like it's like, I'm going to stop there. You're watching online, you know what I'm talking about. It gets worse. It's not going to get better here. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Oh no, I'm going to get him. Lots of people get saved behind the keyboard warrior. <laughs> they change their minds. They <laughs> I struggled with this verse this week. It's just love. To be what? Gentle. Whew. And to show what kind of courtesy? I can't hear you. 
class participation today. Perfect courtesy to how many people? All people, even the idiots. Because guess what? Guess who thinks you're an idiot? They do. So what's, what's, what's Paul telling Titus? That, that the people of God, like we, we have to have a different purpose than what we're seeing in culture, right? Remind the people to be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Who's not submissive most of the time to the rulers and authorities? Everybody. <laughs> There's always somebody mad about something in some way, in some form, in some fashion. And a lot of times, don't hear me wrong, it's right. It's right to be upset. This week we had a right to be upset. And we can debate what the answer is to the problem. But we had a right to be upset about lives being taken. In a school, an elementary school. We have the right to have righteous anger about that. And say we need to do something. And we should debate in the public square what we do about that, but we, we need to agree that we, that's not okay. You go back to Buffalo and you look at the innocent lives that were taken and you hear the why behind the innocent lives being taken and we have to agree this is not okay. And we can be angry about that. And yet, when it comes to people... There is a very specific call for those of us who call Jesus Lord. Extremely significant purpose. And the reason I bring these current events in is because I want you to know that if you cannot address your purpose and look at the world you live in and say, How is this, what does this mean for me now? We're not doing what we're supposed to do because when Paul wrote this to Titus, he said these things in a culture that was real. It was not a textbook for Titus. It was you're going into a place with real people who don't believe what you believe, but what you believe, Titus, is the only thing that will make a dent in what they are going through. Because they were made in the image of God, Titus. And in his likeness, and apart from that purpose, they will never fulfill who they were made to be. No amount of any culturally relevant pill you will swallow will satisfy what God made you for. And that's why we don't grade sins here. Because, you know, why why do we talk about regen all the time? Because we actually believe all of us need recovery. If you don't think you need recovery, I would love to talk to you afterward. You need recovery. Every single one of us does. You might be better at hiding it than everybody else. I mean, I've been working at that for a long time. So when Jamie's like, I need a video about your, about your stuff. I need you to make a video to tell the people about your stuff. I'm like, I don't want to make a video about my stuff. They think I'm a pretty good Christian. No, no, why is that important? Because we all got stuff, right? And what happens when we act like we don't all have stuff is we get these crazy ideas and when our emotions get involved and, and all these things and then, and then 
we do evil. We're all capable of evil. Super important. Super important. I digress. Let's keep reading. Perfect courtesy of all people. Why is, why? I've already let the cat out of the bag. Look at verse 30. For we ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient. Led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others and hating one another. If there was ever a description of culture. Is it not that verse? Verse 4. You're like, you're super negative right now, Pastor. I'm done. I'm not done. I'll come back to it. But Scripture says that the people of God don't grieve like those with no hope. Why? Why do we not grieve when these things happen in the world or things happen to us or people pass away or whatever the case may be? We grieve, but we don't, we don't grieve in the same way. Why? Look at this. Verse 4. But when the goodness of and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. There's a rescuer. There's another thing that happened. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Wow. So that. It's always a so that. God appeared through the Holy Spirit to richly pour out his goodness and loving kindness on you. Amazing. For the washing and renewal through the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in just a second. But there is a so that. There is a so that. So that being justified by his grace. Being made right by his grace and mercy. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs of what? For a long time I thought it was just heaven. (laughs) Get out of here. Get up there. It's bigger than that. If you look in the context of Scripture and the whole of Scripture, it was heirs of of the promise, right? Heirs that things would be made new. That Jesus is in the process of renewing all things. That when Scripture talks about a new heaven and a new earth, Many of us have been trained to just see that that is something distant, different. Remember when he created all this, he said it was good? And the story from front to back is that God will redeem and make new what he already created. And so it it brings us justified by his grace, who are now heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It brings stuff to us. It brings in hope for eternity that there is this newness of life that God will breathe back into this place. And we don't have time to unpack all of that, but let me just break down a little bit of this. 
First of all, bad news, right? And I've already gone through that thoroughly. Bad news. We are who we are. That as people who sin, and that's you, and it's me, and you're not, you're not going to outpunt that coverage until Jesus comes back. If you have a relationship with anybody, I'm not talking even significant other, just anybody, if anybody knows you, <laughs> just ask them. They'll let you know that you're still a sinner. It's all of us. And so that's, that's the bad news. But, but the good news is that Christ is willing to remake us. Who Christ has made us is regenerated, reborn, renewed. Important caveats there. It says it's not our doing, it's his. Right? Super important because you'll probably take credit if it's up to you. I know I would. So what is at work? Right? What's it say the Holy Spirit is doing? He's active here in this passage, right? The Holy Spirit's actively doing things. So so let's 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 consider if the Holy Spirit isn't active in your life. Why? Why? Is it because he's stopped washing and regenerating human beings? No, it's not. He's still doing that all around the world and he hasn't stopped and he's been doing it right here at Redeemer City Church. And some of you sitting right here have that story over the last few years and it's awesome. You go to Tuesday night on God's dogs. There's that story over and over and over again. God's still doing His thing, but if but if you are not seeing it, why? What 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 are these things that are at work that the Holy Spirit's doing? Washing of regeneration. That is rebirth. That is a change in your heart. Heart being the seat of who you are. Think of you might think of it this way. It's your allegiance going from yourself. And your passion, your various passions and pleasures to team Jesus. And now it's his passions and pleasures, right? Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Super important. Washing of regeneration. Why do we baptize people? Why do we take people and we put a big old thing of water right here. And we make people get into the water and get in the water and we take them all the way under the water is it because we want to really clean up a mess no 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 because the holy spirit does washing and so we get you in the tub and we show washing of regeneration because that that there is a story being told when that person goes under the water and is brought back out and we say the words Raised to walk in newness of life. We're saying God chose to do something here. The Holy Spirit is washing of regeneration, changing you. And then the second one is that washing of renewal. So washing of regeneration, you are new. You are different. Changed. Renewal is restored purpose. Now I'm now I'm in this completely different way of living. All because God pours his Holy Spirit out on us richly. Listen, these words aren't in the text on accident. God wants you to know that his love is being poured out, has been poured out on you richly. Man, so it just it tells me that if I'm if I'm not seeing God's spirit richly poured out in my life. 
I, I've, I've got to go back to the drawing board. I need to ask the tough questions of myself. Have I slipped away to my various passions and pleasures again? Is my allegiance out of order here? What is missing in much of the church, at least in our own country, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit? If all of us are supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, why, why do we treat people the way we do? Why is our gut reaction to protect our rights and not to protect people? And I'm not talking about gun control. I'll talk about that in a second. But I'm just saying, what, what's your first instinct? If your instincts are politics, you have a problem. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, I get it. That's your, that's your tool of choice. Sorry. It's a bad tool. It's a tool that God uses nonetheless, Romans tells us. Romans 13. But man, that's a broken tool. It's a broken tool. If that's where your hope comes from, right? Because that's what this passage talks about, right? That this washing of regeneration, it, it's coming in hope. It's hope-filled. If your life isn't hope-filled right now, if you can't look at the things that make you angry and yet have hope that Jesus can do something, let's, let's, get, let's get back to last week. Let's get back to sound doctrine. Let, let's start reading our Bible because we need a different narrative, we need a different story in our head. So important. But it's so that we become heirs of that hope. That, that tells me that we're, we're going to do what James says and we're going to have the wisdom to be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Why? So that when we speak, we represent Christ and not our mixed bag of emotions. The filling of the Spirit then brings hope and life and produces something, something totally different. Look back at the text. Look at, look at verse 8. So he says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then verse 8, so the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist, he's saying, Titus, I want you to insist on these things, implying that there's going to be pushback, right? I'm sure if, if you and I, every one of us had a conversation, you'd be like, well, you know, you said this, but meh, I'm going to debate you on this point. That's fine. I am not perfect. However... Paul tells Titus, insist on this, that those who have believed in God, if you have taken the name that is above every other name and been filled with his spirit, right? What's it say? Insist on this, that those who believe in God may be what? Careful. Careful, implying that it'd be pretty easy to slide away from this. So you have to be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. And what are those works? Things that are excellent and profitable for people. Paul says, Titus, insist that the people that call themselves the people of God, that everybody who has believed in God is going to devote themselves carefully to things that are excellent and profitable for people. So, now 
when you go engage in the issues that face you in the world, at home, locally, nationally, globally, and by the way, there are you have issues in your life right now at every stage of that. No doubt you have issues at home right now, whether it be health or relational or whatever, spiritual. You have issues at home. There are a whole heck of a lot of issues nationally and locally. Globally, war all over the place. Oppression all over the place. Human trafficking all over the place. At every level, right? So when you come to engage in those issues, and the assumption is that you will engage in those issues, right? Because Jesus seems to think that we have the greatest thing that's ever been found. That it's treasure hidden in the field, and you're going to go sell everything you have so you can go buy that field and be like, boom. And then he says, oh, and by the way, you're going to go out into the hedges and highways and compel people to come in so that my house will be full. Why? Because it's about people. It's not about big buildings. It's not about more people in the seats. It's not about any of that. It's about people. If they get saved and go to some other church, great. It's about people. Because we are devoting ourselves, making commitment to pursue things that are excellent and profitable for people. And we're going to avoid some things, by the way. Look at verse 8. Avoid foolish controversies. Genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Yikes. For they are unprofitable and worthless. Now in that culture, he's probably referring to God's law in the Old Testament. Okay? But it's applicable for us. The laws of the land in our time. To quarrel over those things. To keyboard warrior. They're not profitable. And most of the time they're worthless. Not saying you shouldn't do anything. I'm actually going to suggest that we should. But maybe we should think about what we're doing. Yeah. As for a person, verse 10, who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Powerful, powerful stuff here. Belief in God, the filling of the Holy Spirit, produces a new and careful devotion to good works that are excellent and profitable for people. Friends, as much as ever in our lifetimes, the church, this is needed. That we would sit with that and ask, where would God have the church? And let's just talk about Redeemer City Church. What are we supposed to do with that? How might we be, as the New Testament talks of John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in a wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Because that is what we're doing. We're preparing the way for his second coming. And listen. In the context of the church today, when you, when you have hundreds and hundreds of pages 
coming out about how the largest evangelical denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, of which I've been a part of in the past, we're not currently, but we like I've been a part of that in the past, hundreds and hundreds of pages detailing abuse and oppression by God's mouthpiece, pastors, and then leaders of a denomination actively for decades covering that up. And yet simultaneously, the, the, the message is that the greatest threat to the gospel is critical race theory. While we're covering up the actual abuse of kids and women at the hands of God's man. Man, we're, we're way off. And that doesn't have anything to do with politics. We're way off. Not okay. Not okay. Just, just this week I, I read another statement. In the midst of everything that's going on. I picked on the Southern Baptists. How about the Lutherans? The LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Been a great entity for a long time. Sends out a statement last week about being afraid of the infiltration of CRT, critical race theory. And mission drift and needing to return to Christocentricity and being careful. What? Yes, yes, yes. We can engage with certain theories and we should. That's why they're theories. And we should be engaging in that and asking questions and listening to what other people have to say and weighing it against Scripture. And yes, having healthy debate of how to engage current affairs Christianly. Yes, I'm a big plus to that. And whatever the debate lands on biblically, we want to pursue that, whatever that means. But if the theory is the biggest threat to the church when we're doing these things over here, like what are we doing? What are we doing? We don't need to be afraid of theories. We need to educate ourselves. We need to read our Bibles. We need to read both sides of the viewpoint. We need to test them against Scripture and do what the church is supposed to do. That's not, that's not a threat to the gospel. It never has been. Just like evolution or whatever you don't believe about science. or other, Science isn't a threat to the gospel either. But there's tons of people who don't believe what we believe, that God created the heavens and the earth, no matter how he did it. And yet, that's not the biggest threat to the gospel. Come on. And, and I just like, we have to, Right? What is this saying? Even in that time where their government was worse than ours, they're to submit to the rulers and authorities. All the while these things are happening. How, how will we know what's foolish and not foolish, right? Because over and over again in this text it says, avoid foolish controversies. How will we know that? By doing last week. Sound doctrine. Read your Bible. The whole thing, not just your favorite verses that you pull out. The whole thing. And that's why not enough people, I started last week's sermon saying, not enough people know what they believe. We, we, can, we are long past parroting the talking points of people that get famous. We're way past that being a, a, good, a good thing to do. No, no, no. 
You need to be in the Bible, in community, discussing these things, sharpening each other's iron, actively wearing the armor of God that you can quench Satan's fiery darts. We, we have the things we're supposed to have to fight this battle. Man, all as followers of Jesus, our first reaction, our instincts are not to protect our American rights. That cannot be our first instinct. But if we are acting, as Corinthians says, as God's ambassadors to the world, Jesus making his, his plea through us, he didn't, come with, he didn't come with machetes and machine guns and helicopters, and he came as a baby. Now listen, there's a cosmic battle happening, and Jesus is going to win that, and it's going to be by might. But that's his battle, right? If we're his agents, ambassadors to the world, we're agents of his lavish love. That's what this text says. His lavish love. We lead from the Father's love for a lost people. That informs the policies we seek. That informs how we don't seek our own rights. And we have to get this right whether we like it or not. We're God's people first. And the scripture says we're aliens in a foreign land. So I'm actually suggesting that we do engage in the things that are happening around us, in the policies and the policy making that's happening. But Christians ought to bring a third way to the table. One that doesn't say right, wrong, wrong, right, right, wrong, 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 wrong. But we say there is, there's a hopeful way. And we're not going to get it all right because we all bring our own mess to the table. But we absolutely have something different to offer because John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, and therefore neither are you, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then he put us here. And so, I mean, it's just... been spending a long time as that piece of furniture in the back of the garage. Time to dust that thing off. Get it sanded down. Get it repainted with the truth. And then go to work. Then go do what we're supposed to do. Do what we're called to do. What is that? You are a city set on a hill. That cannot be hidden. Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. I love how Eugene Peterson. Wrote that in the message. Translation or version or paraphrase. Or whatever it is that makes you happy. He says you are the God flavors of the earth. What a great way to think about that. When you step into the public square. And by the way. I've been making fun of it. But. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all these places, TikTok, whatever, whatever it is you kids do now that I can't keep up with. Those places are a form of the public square now. 
So when, when you're in those places, that digital public square, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ who came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So let's, let's step into that place. Let's go to work. Let's pick our kids up at school. Let's do all the things that we're already doing. Avoiding the things that we're called to avoid and being a proponent of the things that Jesus has called us to be a proponent of. Critically important. And then at the end, I don't even have these on, I don't even have these on the screen for you, but the end of the chapter, I just, I want to end our series and our time in this. Listening to how fast Paul can just exit, avoid the foolish, like, this isn't all negative. This is not negative. We need to be honest. We need to be honest. But then I love this. In verse 12, and you can just listen to it or look at it in your Bible. It says this, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. It's <laughs> just right back to relationship. Avoid foolish genealogies. When winter comes, I'm going to be hanging out over here and you should come visit me. Right? Like there's a human side to all of this too, right? That you need to go on vacation. That you need to hug your kids. That you need to get down and play Legos. That you need to go have coffee by the water. And you need to take your shoes off and walk in the sand. That you need to feel the grass between your fingers. You might even need to get bit by the devil, the mosquito. All right? And just be reminded that, that we have a body. And that you're a local church Christian. That you may not be able to go to Uvalde right now and solve the big crisis that is there. But what can you do? You can pray, which, by the way, is not nothing. But you have to what? Ask God in faith, James says, or it's like it's like you never asked. Just driven around by all the things that are happening. All right. I'm almost done. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent needs and not be unfruitful. There's your way forward. Look around your circle of influence. Where is the urgent need so that I will not be unfruitful? We're going to spend the whole summer in a series called Summer Serve. We're going to talk about the urgent needs that are right next to us. We're going to start with collecting stuff for Metropolitan Ministries. So simple. So simple. Okay? I got to stop. But I want you to know that you don't have to hide under a rock. Jesus is not afraid of what's happening in the world. And you don't need to be afraid of what's happening in the world. The theories that are out there, let's engage with them. Let's talk about them. Because everybody matters. People of color matter to us. And we're going to engage in that conversation. We're not going to run from it and call it. You know, that just because there's a new theory coming along the way that started a few decades ago and has made its way and now critical theory is a thing about all different things. Yeah, we're not afraid of we're not afraid of the questions. There's a critical study of scripture. We're not afraid of the study of scripture. Okay. We are on we are made on purpose for a purpose. 
So let's look at the urgent needs around us so that we are not found unfruitful. Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks for your goodness. I love that scripture that we just studied that says you have lavished your love on us. You have richly poured out, lavished your goodness and loving kindness on your people. And you are not willing, the scripture says, that anyone should perish, but that all should come to eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. And so I just pray right now that Redeemer City Church, this summer, as we think about moving buildings and being planted in our neighborhood for the foreseeable future, That you would help us devote ourselves, Holy Spirit, because you have filled us richly with love and goodness. That you would help us to not be unfruitful. So as we take the summer to look around our city and say, what are the immediate needs and urgent needs of our city? And even if our part is very small... Would you find your people being about your business? Joining you in the renewal of all things. May it start tomorrow, this Memorial Day, that as we think about freedom and that freedom is not free, that we would think about it in the ultimate sense, that we have hope of eternal life and that we are here to bring good news to be salt and light on the earth. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be that. And in all of this, we're so thankful for Jesus today. Recognizing that apart from Him, we could do nothing. We love you. And everybody said?